0: Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas.
1: Welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama Podcast. It's your host, Martha and... Ashley. Yay. I never remember. (laughs) We did it. I can never remember if I'm supposed to say and or not. So I have uh, a heart attack every time I say the introduction. So thank you for your constant grace.
0: And then we kind of went through that period where we were sharing our last names. So we just didn't know like what we were sharing about ourselves for a while. Right, right. And (laughs) next week we're going to do our social security numbers. So that's where (laughs) we're at. Tune in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next week. Um, so mamas, you know that oftentimes we'll get to interview experts in the field of neonatology and mental health on this podcast, or we get to chat a bit with NICU moms themselves, hear about their journeys. And today we kind of have like a very cool hybrid of professional, personal journey. And today we have Jess Meyer here. Can you say hi,
2: Jess? Hello, folks. I'm so glad to be here.
1: (laughs) Jess is a preeclampsia mom, uh, had her baby about four weeks weeks early. Yeah. Uh, An adorable baby named Penny, who's going to be too Uh soon. (laughs) So cute. And the coolest thing is that she and her husband Pierce actually have a podcast, The Only You, a one and done podcast, all about this idea of, of what it means to have a a single child in your life, and make that choice, not make that choice. All the things that lead to, to that life. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, how many times actually have people like, when are you gonna have another? Like <laughs> when we're in the NICU and like in a war zone,
0: and they're like, when are you gonna have another? Yeah, seriously. Well, and we've been kind of talking about this Life After NICU series, and we wanted to make sure to touch on this topic because it's very sensitive, and it's very very tender. And we know that for many of you mamas listening, the decision of how and when and if to grow your family isn't just a decision you make overnight. It's a decision that takes a lot of consultations, a lot of healing, a lot of inner healing, and physical healing. And so we wanted to have this conversation with a mama who has journeyed through that herself and has really made it her mission to create a safe space for moms with only one child. And so Jess, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I think what you two are doing is so important. And especially Mm -hmm. for folks on that one and done path, either by choice or through circumstances outside of their control, they could really use a resource like this. So thank you. I
0: love the beauty of the internet and in that it connects us together. You know, like I think about mm-hmm. how we have different missions and yet our hearts are the same. And yes. so I'm so grateful for those little squares on Instagram that connected us. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it was so fun. Ashley sent me this, your your page and she was like, oh my gosh, we have to have her on the podcast. And I immediately like absorbed everything was like snooping on your Patreon page and stuff because (laughs) you have, I think something we share, which is like, of course, all these topics are so heavy and they, um, they weigh on us as people, but sometimes levity and joy and, and peace can be found. And I think you and Pierce do a really good job of that. You and peace. oof, Freudian slip. (laughs)
2: Well, thank you. Yeah. We, uh, it was really born of the need and the desire for community and, there wasn't one. There was Mm -hmm. maybe a couple of really good meme pages about being one and done, but there wasn't really a a safe space to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I really, really needed that resource and I couldn't find it. So I made it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for
0: you. So cool. Well, can we backtrack a little bit, Jess? Um, You know, you talk very openly about your own preeclampsia journey and all of that 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 entailed, and so would you be willing to share with us just a little bit of your motherhood journey here?
2: Sure. How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll make it short. I had a pretty easygoing pregnancy. The twenty-week scan revealed that she was a little bit on the small side. Um, she had like some kidney stuff going on, so we had extra scans for her. Um, it was my first and only pregnancy, and. At the time, we thought we would probably be having several kids, and I actually really enjoyed being pregnant. Um, it was not hard. I even remember discussing with my girlfriends the idea of perhaps being a surrogate someday because mm-hmm. uh, I, I liked it. And after the 20-week scan, we were getting a lot of extra attention. We were doing scans every four weeks because I also had, um, oh, I don't remember what it's called, basically the umbilical cord was attached to my placenta, like right at the edge, marginal Mm. cord insertion it's called. So Mm. it wasn't like there was a possibility that the nutrients weren't going to reach her. And that did end up being the case because every scan, she kind of got smaller and smaller. And Mm. looking back, that's actually um, a risk factor for preeclampsia that is being researched right now, is placental issues and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. growth growth restriction. So... I think it was the 35 week scan that we did. We went in for an ultrasound and I had just been to a wedding and I remember feeling so tired. I was exhausted, Mm -hmm. but I had never been 35 weeks pregnant in July before. So I thought it was normal. (laughs) Right. And I remember just staring at this picnic table at the wedding and wishing that I could just lay down and go to sleep on it. Like that's how desperate Mm -hmm. I was to rest
0: Mm -hmm. and, uh,
2: Everybody was catering to me. It was fine. It was hot. I was drinking water. So anyway, a couple days later, I go to the doctor and they take my blood pressure and then they Mm -hmm. take it again and -hmm. then they take it a third time and they sort of just like make note of it. They do the scan and Penny had dropped down to like the fifth percentile Mm -hmm. of growth and my blood pressure was just off the charts. It was like Mm -hmm. 210 over, I don't even know, 110. So it was just really, really high. And I had no idea. I mean, having preeclampsia, there's really no way to know unless you take your blood pressure. There's no real symptoms. So I was just shocked when they said, I remember the maternal fetal medicine doctor like looked at me and she with like a little tear in her eye because we had met so many times before it was like, Jess, I'm so sorry, but you need to go to the hospital right now. You're having mm-hmm. your baby and you're not going to leave the hospital until you do. You're mm-hmm. really, really sick. And that. I don't know. Luckily, because of my anxiety that already existed, I had already packed my go bag and I um Pierce was in his work clothes. Like we were both set to go to work right after that. We both called in like, so yeah. oh, that maternity leave we've been talking about. I'm going to need to start <laughs> that today. Um So we go to the triage and they keep taking my blood pressure over and over again. It's not going down. They get me on labetalol, which is a blood pressure medication to try to stabilize it. I get a steroid shot in my back immediately, which is like going from, I'm just like a happily pregnant woman to like, I'm getting a, a literal shot in my back right mm-hmm. now. And I'm going to have my baby soon. That was pretty jarring. Mm-hmm. So we spent the next five days trying to stabilize my blood pressure. Um, Penny was having a hard time with her heart rate, as the um, induction medications were happening. So we had to keep a really close eye on her and there was the ever looming threat of a C-section, you know, just Mm -hmm. anytime something would go wrong. Um, And I started getting some visual disturbances. Mm
0: -hmm. I was on
2: magnesium. I don't really Mm -hmm. remember my birth very well. It's all very, it's like. That magnesium,
0: we call (sighs) it a swear word. Like we're kind of grateful for it because it protected us (laughs) and baby, but also like it's the worst.
2: It's horrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've never been so uncomfortable in, like, the Pitocin mm-hmm. and the just the combination of all the drugs. I was shaking so much that mm-hmm. it was uncontrollable. It was like having the shivers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. You just, at the time, I thought, this is just what you have to do to have a baby. Mm-hmm. This is it. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know anything different. I'm assuming all women have to stay in the hospital for five days just to try to get the baby to come out. Um, and all I cared about was her surviving Mm -hmm. and I didn't Mm -hmm. care about myself at all. I just needed her to be okay. So finally I delivered her. She was about four pounds. Um, she was fine. She was doing really well. Um, they sent us home the next day. Wow. And I remember saying to the doctor who was doing my discharge paperwork, I was like, do you want to take my blood pressure again? And they were like, no, you're fine. I was like, okay. So we go home and, um, Penny wasn't doing very well. So we did her first visit with the pediatrician and they were basically like, sorry guys, you need to go back to the hospital right now. I've called them. Mm -hmm. They have a room ready for you. You need to go now Mm -hmm. because she had like crystallized urine. She was very, very dehydrated. Apparently Mm -hmm. my milk hadn't come in Mm -hmm. and, um, her jaundice was really bad. And, Mm -hmm we were shocked it was just another thing and so we went to the hospital and and we stayed there for about two or three weeks in the NICU um Mm -hmm. or it was called something else the PICU the PICU yeah Yeah. so she had to do the um jaundice stuff Mm -hmm. but then also while we were there they found out she had like a heart issue Mm -hmm. and um the whole time we we're there, I was not feeling 100%. Um, I was feeling really sick and I was postpartum, you know, so I'm like in there changing my gauze and like doing all of this stuff because mm-hmm. I did have a natural birth and um, I was not feeling great, but I didn't, I didn't even check my own blood pressure because nobody told me to. And yeah. also I didn't care. Like I just needed her to be okay. She was fighting for her life in there. Um mm-hmm. And she developed hypothermia at one point mm-hmm. um, because oh she was just God. so oh little gosh. that yeah. she just couldn't regulate her own temperature. Uh, so just like everything was being thrown at us, and and we were talking about heart surgery, and we were talking about all of these really horrifying, scary kidney procedures. Like mm-hmm. things were really rough, and um, I had to keep the the blinds drawn because my visual disturbances came back, and I was getting Mm. these headaches. And um, looking back, I I was sick, Mm -hmm. and I just didn't care. I just needed her to be okay. So finally, my mom dragged me out of the hospital and took me to the emergency room to get my blood pressure taken. And of course, it was back up off the charts again. Mm -hmm. I had postpartum preeclampsia. So they Mm -hmm. admitted me, and I was just like, I need to get back to my child. Like Mm -hmm. she is in the PICU. I need to go. And so the doctor was so nice and they did intravenous pitocin or not pitocin, um, whatever the blood pressure medication is that you do intravenously. That's not magnesium. Thankfully they got it stabilized, sent me with a bunch of medication and said, fine, go, go back to the PICU. Mm -hmm. I swear I would have just pulled it out and left. Like I was Mm -hmm. not staying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So finally we, we got through it we got to the end of our journey at the picu took her home and for months after that i felt like i i felt like i never left mm-hmm. i was so scared all the time i didn't trust her body i didn't trust my body
0: mm-hmm. i didn't
2: trust myself as a parent um, mm-hmm. i just felt extremely depressed and scared and anxious and it wasn't until a couple months later that i was d- diagnosed with ptsd Mm -hmm. from the experience and um, started doing talk therapy, I would just take her with me, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. lonely. I mean, Pierce had to go back to work Mm -hmm. at the very end of our our PICU stay because he only got three weeks off. So it was just like me alone with this baby who proved to me that she, you know, she was like at risk for everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And nobody really understood what that feels like when you just you meet this baby and they're immediately fighting for their life. and so are you. Mm -hmm. It's really jarring. So pretty much within Mm -hmm. the first couple of weeks, I had decided I wanted to be one and done. I was like, I am not doing that again. And then at the six-week checkup, the doctor told me, because I had postpartum preeclampsia as well, that my my blood pressure would probably always be a problem. And any subsequent pregnancy had a pretty high risk, something like 50-50, of having Mm -hmm. preeclampsia again. And that's when we kind of decided for sure that it wasn't worth the risk for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I I know Ashley feels the same way, but like the, it's always an honor to hear you talk, you know, moms talking about the most vulnerable days of their life, but thank you for doing that. Cause it's, I think people forget listening that it's like not a, it's a pretty big chore to like relive and process all sure. of it too. So thank you. Um, and I, you know, I can't help but thinking too about like what you said, like I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. And it just really speaks to the idea that we really just assume that, you know, it's just, I guess it's going to be hard and we just know different, you know, and and at what point, you know, in conversations with others, maybe, maybe your mom or or a friend's family about their deliveries, did you realize that maybe there was a really stark difference?
2: You know, I think it was my first mom group. I went mm. to. And I've heard this from other moms as well, where everybody's going around talking about their birth experience. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, like I said, time, and I like, uh-huh. <laughs> how much time do you have? Like, <laughs> yeah. And their eyes get really big and you're yeah. like, oh, shoot, I just said the wrong thing. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not trying to scare you all out of having a second or anything, but this is what mm-hmm. happened to me. I yeah. think meeting other moms, talking to other moms, I just started to feel like the the outlier. I started mm-hmm. to feel like the one whose body couldn't handle pregnancy, the one mm-hmm. whose body failed them and their baby. And I carry mm-hmm. less so now, especially in the beginning. I carried a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I blamed myself for all of her health issues. Anytime we'd have to go to the cardiologist or the urologist or Anytime her weight was too low and we had to supplement, I was pumping for the first three months and nursing. Mm -hmm. So I was just like really trying to get her weight up. Anytime Mm -hmm. anything would go wrong, I would blame myself. And because it's like, it's my body that did this to her. I couldn't Mm -hmm. even do the one thing that the woman's body is supposed to be able to do, which is produce a child. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I carried all this horrible shame. And it took a long time for me to kind of forgive myself. I think, mm-hmm. and forgive my body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, and I echo what Martha said. We just appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to go to those deep places with us. And I know our moms are so appreciative as well. And I think you also articulated really well that, you know, for for moms who have, quote, normal, we always use quotations, quote, normal pregnancies and deliveries, you don't have to think about future pregnancies so early, you know, like mm-hmm. you deliver your child and you know that like, okay, now I'm going to give myself maybe a year or a couple of years to even have to think about the fact of growing our family. When, when we go through these traumatic births, it's like you basically deliver your baby and you're already thinking like, can I do this again? Is this even possible for me? And you start this grieving process of growing your family pretty instantly. Yeah. And so I know you kind of said it was pretty obvious right away when your doctor sat at six weeks, but when did you start that grieving process of like, wow, this isn't going to be simple for us and maybe not a possibility?
2: You know, I think I started it early and I think I'm still in it in yeah. some ways. I think yeah. I, I know that there are certain things that trigger it, um, getting mm-hmm. rid of baby clothes, yes. Um, every little milestone, knowing the first thing is also the last thing. I think the grieving process doesn't necessarily ever stop. And mm-hmm. I think you you find ways to cope with it, especially if that wasn't your journey. And then part of our mission for the podcast is to remind ourselves and remind everybody else that there's a lot of positives along with it, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we began the podcast, I truly naively thought it was going to be about only children. I thought it was going to be a, a podcast about only kids. And it's so not this is a podcast <laughs> about parents it has nothing to do with the kids
0: right <laughs> right uh,
2: spoiler alert for anybody who's not listened the kids are fine like only <laughs> children they're good they you don't have to worry about them we have only children write in all the time and, and they're good like there's not that much depth there but the surprising thing is that it's actually more about the parents and how we cope with um yeah. dealing with the fact that our family is not going to look like what we thought it would. And that can come Mm -hmm. from a traumatic birth. Of course, it can also come from secondary infertility. It can come from the dissolution of a marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. It can come with uh, health issues, cancer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can come from a lot of different places, but the grief is what kind of unites us. So Mm -hmm. I would say that that grieving process is, it's going to be there I think for me for a while, but what I'm able to do is like the the gratitude process is like leveling at the same. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if I can sort of match that grief with the gratitude, I, I'm i able to find a, a certain amount of peace with the situation.
0: Yeah.
1: I imagine too, and we've know this so well from the NICU community, is that um, c- uh, communion, you know, meeting other people and saying that's, I know that. I see you. I feel like that too. Uh is one one of the places that gratitude can come from. It's one that can spur it because uh like you said the conjoining the the commonality there is expectation versus reality. Right. Um, for everything from the birth trauma to the delivery to life afterwards. So mm-hmm. um, you speak to that so well and I I love the the variety of the the families that that you talk with and get to to work with in the community too, I think mm-hmm. it's so important to highlight all of those. Um, so you talked a little bit about it. What was even the conversation of of Hey, I think we should start a podcast, Pierce. I know you got a full time <laughs> job, but you got a real nice beard, and it's perfect for for podcasting.
2: <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, I think that it was one of many podcast born out of the pandemic because Mm. he didn't have a full-time job and neither did I. So um, I've always been a huge fan of podcasts. I actually listen to more comedy podcasts than anything. Um, I remember right after giving birth, I was listening to a lot of like birth story podcasts, trying to kind of like reckon with what happened. And I would, I would always wait till the end and I would hope that they would say, and then we decided to be one and done. And they mm-hmm. never really did, you know, like, I never got that validation that I was hoping to find. They would always say, like, "Um, we're not sure when we're going to plan to have the next baby, or it wasn't really like a conversation they were having. And I would always kind of subconsciously wish that somebody out there would would say, you know, we're not going to roll these dice again. And we're mm-hmm. deciding to be one and done because of what happened to us. And um, it was, it was hard for me to listen to those birth stories. Because I was always felt feeling like, okay, so they went through something worse than me, or they went through something similar to me, and they can just do it again. And I can't. And it's again, that shame, like, what is wrong with me? You know, a lot of women have difficult births. But just me, I can't do it again. And people saying, my daughter's gonna be lonely, people saying, I'll regret it, all of these horrible things. That was all just Reeling in my head and I'm one of five. So I just, I didn't have anyone to, to talk to about this. So I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts or like Radio Lab or um, definitely not in the motherhood space. At all, and I think it shows in my podcast. <laughs> we have like the pop culture segment. Where, like, we're like silly.
1: yes but well, that's, <laughs> that's good though. It can't always be like today. We'll be yeah. talking about the devastation. Yeah. There
2: comes. has to be right. some joy and humor in it too. Yeah, and we like almost never talk about Penny. <laughs> like it is just not <laughs> a parenting podcast. But anyway, so I. I think through the pandemic, I was like, I want to start a podcast. Anybody can do it. And I had all these different ideas I wanted to do. And I'm, I know a lot about records. So it's like, I could do a music podcast or I could do a gardening podcast. My sister owns a farm. (laughs) Maybe she'll do a farming podcast with me. I had all these ideas. I wanted to do a Freaks and Geeks rewatch podcast. Like (laughs) I had tons, tons of thoughts. And Pierce is used to my personality where I just wake up with a wild hair. And I'm like, hey, we're going to change our lives today. And here's how. (laughs) I'm just that person. So I woke up one day and was like, I think we should do a podcast about being one and done. There's nothing like it. Nobody's talking about it. I think we should talk about it. And luckily Pierce being the perfect partner for me that he is, is like, (laughs) okay, how, how do we do it? (laughs) Let's buy the microphones. And so he's just so supportive. And I've talked about this before too, that he is pretty neutral on being one and done versus having more. If it were up to him, I think, um, He'd probably go for two, maybe
1: three,
2: Mm -hmm. Um, but he realizes that it's not up to him because Mm -hmm. it's my body and he loves having Penny and he Mm -hmm. has no issues with being one and done. So it's not like Mm -hmm. he's passionate about it in the way that I am. It's more just like he's incredibly supportive and realizes that Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it is my call to make and um, Mm -hmm. he's just there for me. So I'm really, really lucky.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so beautiful, and I can imagine because I know Martha and I feel this way that something that you create also ends up changing your life. And so, in what ways has... well. <laughs> in what way has only you, podcast and your mission, you know, really helped you flourish in your motherhood journey? And how have you grown because of the community that you've been building?
2: Wow, that's a great question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I've made some really incredible friendships, which has been great. Mm -hmm. I've also, and it's funny when we first started this, I told you both that I was just fresh out of a therapy session. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which I talk about very openly. (laughs) Like, yes, I'm in therapy and yes, it helps a lot, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just turned 30 and my identity has shifted Mm
0: -hmm. where
2: a lot of my identity is being a mother where mm-hmm. most of my life my identity was about going to shows and um, being like a young, cool person in the world. You know, like my mm-hmm. identity was not in this space at all. So the podcast has, has given me this really extraordinary opportunity to like cultivate this new person that I have become and mm-hmm. make it in a way that it doesn't consume my personality But instead, it like accentuates the personality I had before, the person Mm -hmm. who always wants to bring people together, the person who wants to host the party, the person who wants people to talk about what's really going on, the person who hates Mm -hmm. small talk, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's allowed me to become the type of mother who um, wants other mothers to feel like they can still be who they are while dealing with all these new things that come up. So I think in a way it's really given me this like creative license within motherhood Mm -hmm. to, to make it whatever I want it to be. And I, I feel so supported by Mm -hmm. all of these men and women who, who come out of the woodwork to tell me like, nobody was talking about this. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank Mm you. And it, it just gives me this sort of, yeah, creative license. I think. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. It's beautiful
1: just piggybacking on that, I hope that's okay if I ask this, This, but of um, sometimes people will write to us as if we're authorities who know anything, which is <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that people write to you and they're like, how do I know? Right. Or, or things that's like that, answer. like for advice and it, in the realm of trauma, there is no right or wrong way. And often it's going to be a real gray answer.
2: So how do you often
1: answer those questions?
2: You know, I, I always say, To look within, to imagine your family five years from now, you're sitting around the table at a dinner and you're feeling as joyous as you can. You know, this is one of those euphoric moments where you look around your space and you think like, I have it. I have what I've Mm -hmm. always wanted. Who's there? Is your spouse there? I hope so. Do you have one, two, three kids? You know, are the grandparents there? Is your, are your friends there? Is there someone that like you imagine when you close your eyes that would like really fill your cup to see around that table and try to, try to really imagine that. And if it does have two or three or more kids, maybe you're not done. And maybe it's time to have the conversation of like, how can I safely have another pregnancy? What do I need to do to support my own mental health, my own physical health to start the surrogacy process, the adoption process, what have you? If it's just your only and that feels good, then I think you're probably there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when I picture Christmas five years from now, it's not just me and her and Pierce. It's me, her, Pierce, her grandma, you know, Omi. It's all of our friends. It's uh, the cousins are running around. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly not me with a a baby belly. You know, it's not me, you know. having another pregnancy or another newborn experience. So in those moments, that's when I feel the most sure. And then I tell them if you're not able to really, like if that's still a little bit unclear, then always, always go to therapy. Talk to mm-hmm. a neutral third party who doesn't have a vested interest on whether or not you have another one. Don't talk to your mom who yeah, wants another yes. grandbaby. Don't talk <laughs> okay, to your yeah. you know, friends mm-hmm. who have three and want you to have three. Talk to someone neutral whose whose job is to make sure that you're okay and to make Mm -hmm. sure that you're getting what you need. And um, I'm not a trained therapist, so I that's all I can really offer. And I just always am encouraging people to talk to therapists. Mm hmm. I
0: think that's such a good point of talking to that neutral neutral party, like you said, because of course, when your friends want you to grow your family, of course, they want to see you have multiple, you know, it's like, that's just natural. But I love that you affirm that, you know, talk to somebody who has no vested interest if your family grows, but really cares about you and your health and who
2: you are. And so right. I think
0: that's really beautiful.
2: Well, sometimes other parents can say things like they don't mean it to be hurtful And it is. So even your closest friends might say something like, Oh, you'll be fine. Oh, that won't happen. Oh, it won't happen. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) There's no way that can happen twice. Or like, I have a friend who had preeclampsia once. Second kid was fine. (laughs) It's like, That's not as helpful as you think it is. I've already beat the odds a couple of times in a not great way. So the odds aren't really in my favor.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and I think that that simple illustration really gives moms permission to really ask themselves what they want to, you know, versus like maybe what they feel pressured to or right. what they thought growing their family would look like. And it really just quiets your heart and is like, what, what's best for our family and how do we make those decisions that honor our family as best we can? And so,
2: yeah, I mean, I in that. a way, like a, it's a moment that moms don't give themselves permission to have very much, which is like, I'm not thinking about what's best for my child. Because I know in my heart that I'm doing everything I can for them. I'm mm-hmm. not thinking about what society says children need, which is two to three siblings. I'm not thinking about, um, you know, people who say I'm not a real mother if I don't have more than one.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not,
2: Yeah, that happens. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm simply thinking, what do I want? And allowing yourself that just so brief, selfish moment. Mm -hmm. Selfishness is such an interesting concept when it comes to parents, because we're told that as soon as you have that child, or even really as soon as you become pregnant, it's not about you anymore. It has, you know, your life is no longer about your needs. It is 100% for them. And I think that's really a dangerous territory for humans, just because what are you modeling for your kid? Mm -hmm. What are you showing them that as soon as you become a parent, your needs no longer matter?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't want her to think that my, my daughter's a woman. So it's even more like, I need you to see that moms are allowed to put themselves first sometimes. And mm-hmm. part of that for me is not being pregnant again.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think too. it's really part of that whole idea of identity as well, because it's pretty, it's a pretty devastating um, transition. If you um, get to the point where you're like, Maybe you're struggling, right? I struggled after we brought my daughter home and I'm thinking, so this is my job and this is all I'm going to do is give everything to her all the time and that's it. And I'm not doing well with it and I'm not happy. So, you know, peace, bye. It just doesn't, <laughs> it's just, it can be, you're, like you said, it can be dangerous where, and and shame inducing because that's such an unrealistic expectation of anybody right? Because <laughs> you cannot function as a human being if you don't have like sleep and food right. and um, joys in life, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think yeah. it's so important to be able to model both as moms and dads what it's like to take care of yourself. Your your kid needs to see that mm-hmm. because they need to know that their self-worth is not wrapped up on who they're taking care of that day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, and to kind of piggyback off of, you know, um, Martha was talking about questions, that infamous question of, so when are you going to have more? How do you answer that question? (laughs) Let's say Karen in the grocery store sees Penny and she's like, oh, she's so
2: cute. When are you going to have
0: another one? How do you respond? (laughs) I have a few.
2: You know, it depends on my level of sassiness that day. There you go. (laughs) Um, It depends on, like, my mood and also – I think it's really important that we are careful about what we're saying in front of our kids. Absolutely. So I, as much as I would like to say, I almost died having this baby. I don't really need her to carry that, you know, Amen. like I don't need yes. her to, to think to herself, like I almost did that to my mom. Like that's really not for her to carry.
0: Mm-hmm. So if
2: Penny is with me. Um, I always try to just like kind of laugh it off. Um, and I always say something along the lines of like, um, why is that your business? You know, like, who asked you? Because it it really does put it right back into their court. Like, why am I asking this stranger? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I said recently on a podcast all about clapbacks. I said, one thing I'd really love to say that I haven't yet to someone, it would be really perfect for like an acquaintance, you know, somebody you knew in high school or something. I would love to say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize we were there in our relationship because I have some thoughts on your life that I would love to share. How I love that. <laughs> but I think people don't ask me very much because I tend to have like "fu" written across my forehead when I'm out. People just don't approach me. Yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. Great. Um, But I think that just turning it back onto them and being like, what makes you think you can ask me that? You know, like, what? What did I do to make you feel like that's any of your concern? She's fine. She's happy. She's healthy. Maybe work on not asking that, you know, or it could even be a teachable moment. Like if I'm in the mood to be a little bit more gracious, I might say, you know, we're not planning on having another child and I'm fortunate that I haven't experienced pregnancy loss, but you should really be careful who you're asking that to because a lot of parents try for another and they lose their pregnancies, and it's devastating. And you really don't know what that person has gone through. So I think you should be careful about that question in the future. And you're lucky you asked me, and not somebody for whom it would be devastating. Mm -hmm. Like, make it a teaching moment. Make it a moment where you're like, hey, man, be careful about that. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was very visibly pregnant at work, a guy was like, Hey, you got a baby coming, huh? And I just looked at him and I was just sort of like, um... and it made him rethink the question where he was like, don't you? Don't you have a baby coming? And I I, I let it sit for a little while. <laughs> I really let him sweat. And then I was finally like, yes, I do. But <laughs> in the future, you might reconsider that question because you really don't know and it's truly not your business. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, because I'm able to have that confidence, I really just try to speak up for those who don't. And it's not their fault because they may have been through something really, really hard. Um, But it's definitely a work in progress. I'm certainly not perfect. And Mm -hmm. it does make me nervous to take my own child out in the world. And that sucks because Mm -hmm. it's something so many people don't have to think about. Like, I just want to go to the grocery store. I just want to go to the farmer's market or the park. And I don't want to have to talk about my preeclampsia <laughs> or I don't want to make this a feminist issue right now. I really yeah. just want to enjoy my day.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, man. That's – I love that, though. And I'm going to write these down. These are fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, I and I think context to relationship is so important, too. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. it's like – your responses to Karen in the grocery store will be so different than to a best friend who genuinely wants to know how you're feeling right. about growing Absolutely. your family.
2: So I love having those sassy cards ready, though, for, totally. <laughs> for those other ones. When it comes to your best friend or a family member, I can definitely be a lot more gracious. But at the same time, I can sort of be like, you know what we've gone through. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a question on my mind. And, you know, starting a podcast about being one and done really stops all those questions from <laughs> your friends and family. But – I think what I would tell somebody to say if, like, perhaps their mom or a a friend or a sibling won't stop bringing it up is I would always just say, like, I'm going to put up a boundary that you no longer ask that. Um, It's not not an easy thing for me to talk about, and I'd rather you just kind of respected where I'm at. If I want to talk about it, I'll bring it up to you. But I just Mm want to put up this boundary with you right now that it doesn't feel good and it's a little triggering for me. So if you don't mind... Just respect that boundary. And like any boundary in life, if they continually cross it, then maybe it's time for a little time out. You know, like maybe it's time to look up the old gray rock method and make it the most boring conversation you've ever had with a person where you just give them one word answers until they figure out a way to talk to you with respect. Um, I think in-laws can be some of the the most difficult people in navigating this because you want them to like you. But at the same time, you want to be able to have a boundary with them. Mm -hmm. So I think using that word boundary is really powerful. It's not something older generations are used to hearing, but they need to get used to it. And I think it's a good thing to model for your kid as well. Like, hey, I'm putting up a boundary right now. I need you not to cross it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think then uh, what would be really interesting is all the time on this podcast and with our moms, we hear, we talk so much about the grief that of losing the choice. Right. And and that's where it really kind of irons out to is that we don't have the choices or the options we thought we had before. Um, and, and that really can accompany birth trauma and NICU trauma, things like that. Um, And and as much as we want to honor and hold space for that, we also kind of love how you bring up this idea of, well, what are the the benefits? What are some of the joys? Like, what are some of the things that can bring us hope and encouragement in this journey of one and done? Um, Can you speak to some of the misconceptions and fears and and how you respond to those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The number one thing is that your child is going to be selfish or your child is going to be lonely. Those are the two things that people are very concerned about. Um, Basically, that your child will not be given the social skills to navigate through this world like they would with a sibling. And in some ways, that's not incorrect. If your child spends its whole childhood with you alone, it will definitely be missing out on some fundamental building blocks for socialization. But you have to remember that school exists. And you have to remember that organized sports exist. And you have to remember that friends exist. So, Mm -hmm. I another like little clapback that I like to say is like, there has to be ways to show to socialize my child without involving my uterus, right? Like, There's, <laughs> there's other ways. And so um, I love that. There's, there's sports, there's clubs, there's a lot of ways that you can make sure your your kid gets good opportunities to hang out with other kids their age, because they need to experience conflict. They don't need to experience only having a friend. They need to experience arguing with a friend. They need to experience conflict resolution and like how to deal with people when they're being difficult. Because what happens with only children is that they get into a rhythm with their parents where there's really not that much conflict, especially if you have like a good solid bond where the parents are able to kind of give them the things that they want or need They're able to be respectful to their parents. There's not a lot of like issues going on. It's a very peaceful atmosphere in some cases. And they don't really experience what it's like to not get what you want. And that's not a selfish thing. It's like the conflict just doesn't come up. And I'm not Mm going to like create a conflict for her. That seems weird. I'm not going (laughs) to take away something that I could easily just give her um, because somebody tells me I have to. So you need to put them in situations where they're able to resolve conflicts with other kids their age And I think sports are a really good way to do that because it shows them how to be a team and it shows them how to deal when their thoughts aren't chosen, like when they're not the leader. Um, School is another really important one. I mean, I know that there are some homeschooled only children, but I think even in those cases, they make sure to socialize with other homeschooled kids. Um, I don't think like getting them into daycare immediately is super important. I've read a lot of research that says the most important relationship for kids um, like three and under is with their parents. So you're trying to like give them a good bond and like an emotional support. And then, you know, you put them out into the world. Mm -hmm. And that is an important point too, when you're with a baby, like when you have a a really small child, like under two and someone comes to you and says, they're an only child. They're going to be so spoiled. Like, aren't most one-year-olds only children like when they're firstborns you know (laughs) like a lot of people are born without siblings and eventually get them but like my one-year-old isn't spoiled they're just they're new they're brand new so Mm -hmm. I think you got to give yourself a little bit of leniency especially those first few years like most kids many kids at least don't have siblings yet at that point Mm -hmm. um but there's some really amazing things that can happen when you just have the one, like Mm -hmm. for me, the most obvious one is the financial aspect where we're just able to do more stuff. Pierce is able to stay home. Um, We're able to like fit in smaller places. You know, we have like this little teardrop trailer that we can all fit in. And Mm. one of us is always able to like kind of be with her while the other one does stuff. And there's just not a lot of like, Sacrifice in order to do the things we want to do. We don't have to like have one kid be with this parent, have the other kid with be. You know, we can just both be there. So it creates this really unique like three person bond, which is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's easier to find a babysitter for one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, there's also for me like the the mental health aspect. So like if we can say that for a lot of moms, that first six months three to six months, the fourth trimester is emotionally and mentally really taxing. Knowing that I'm not going to have to do that again, knowing that I'm not going to have to go through pregnancy again, that's really freeing for me mentally. Kind of just being able to get back to myself and, and not have to sacrifice my body and my mental health again for another child. That's really good for me. Um, it also allowed me to get back to work and um, really settle in knowing that I'm not going to have to do another maternity leave in America. That's not an easy thing on your on your professional life.
1: Yeah, Ashley and I are moving to Copenhagen. So, <laughs> oh,
2: really? Okay. You <laughs> <with you. laughs> um, um, so there's just like a lot of benefits, I think. And again, it it begs the question: like, am I selfish because I need those things, or because I want those things, or because I see the value in those things? And I don't think I am because I don't see anything that proves to me that she is in any way. Um, at a deficit because of them Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. if all of the research says that only children are just fine and the only thing I'm working against is like these outdated stereotypes I can live with that I'm fine Mm -hmm. with it you know I'm just gonna continue to value my own mental health and what our family what's best for us And I'm just going to have to believe that those stereotypes will eventually fade away into obscurity. Mm. That's beautiful. Again, I'm just fresh out of therapy, so I'm feeling confident.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it it shows, girlfriend. You're you're glowing. You got that therapy glow. You're just like got you know, a bag of cereal in the background that I keep eyeing <laughs> that I really want. I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's true. You know, in therapy
1: too, it can go one. Sometimes when you're having a really intense session, sometimes you leave and you're yes. like, I need to go get three tacos from Taco yes. Bell and lay in bed. Mm. So the fact that you're you're kind of in your Oprah Super Soul Sunday moment <laughs> is really good for me. <laughs> I'm loving it.
2: <laughs> I just feel very much at peace with the situation and it's what I it's what I hope for our listeners and for our followers. I just hope that you can find a um a moment where you can say to yourself, like, I need to mute all of these external voices that are not mine and that are not my mm-hmm. spouses and that are not my child's and I need to focus on what's best for the you know, the two or three of us. There's a lot of single parents out there too. I don't want to discount them. But I need to focus on what's best for us and our family. And I need to realize that what's best for another family might not match that. And that's totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Like we do get a lot of comments being like, well, you know, families with multiple kids, we have really good bonds too. And it's like, that's great. I think that's wonderful. (laughs) I don't -hmm. think there's anything wrong with that. I just wish that as much as we allow other families to be just as they are, that people could give that kind of same acceptance to one and done families.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um. Well, and I want to just really quick honor you, Jess, because you said, I'm at peace with that decision, you know, and I just want to affirm the hard work it took to get there, and to really just honor the inner healing and work that you did to get to that place. Because I think on the outside um, we can see that peace you have and think, well, how did she get there? How, you know, how did she get to that piece? But we know that it took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of boundary setting. It took a lot of inner reflection. It took a lot of that, you know, allowing yourself that time. And so we just want to affirm too that, The work that you're doing and that you're creating is done because you've done that hard work yourself. And so sending you all the virtual hugs and high (laughs) fives and bags of cereal from here and just really (laughs) affirming that, you know, the place where you're at right now took a lot to get to and it's commendable. And so just know that we see it.
2: That's really, really nice. Thank you. And I have to take that shout out and send a lot of it to the folks who have allowed themselves to be vulnerable with me. Yeah, Um, our show is like an email question and answer type of show. So each week we read emails from people who are kind of in that same space of deciding whether to be one and done or having made the decision or having it be made for them. And I get to read these stories, these just incredibly powerful, strong people who have overcome NICU stays or Mm -hmm. um, health trauma. And I just get to be in a space with them. And I, I'm really, really fortunate that they've allowed themselves to share. I think the more that we're able to talk about the good stuff and the bad stuff, we can all Mm -hmm. feel a little bit more supported. And it doesn't, you know, I always worry that people are going to be like, Jess, I'm so sorry, but I've decided to have another. And I'm going to be like, no, 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 no. I am so happy for you. Like, yes, live your truth. Do whatever you want to do. This is not a space for deciding what family is right for you at all this is a space for supporting where you're at right now where
0: Mm -hmm, you want to be
2: so I just think this community that has found me um, they have given me a ton of strength and I'm so thankful for them every day yeah so good
0: that's
1: so amazing. Oh, I'm like your number one fan. This is
2: so cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's It's always such a pleasure to to meet people, mm-hmm. but it's like always such a kind of like a, it's a crapshoot. It's like a yeah. beautiful gift and we unwrap it and it's a total surprise every time we do these. So this yeah. is so, fun.
2: so um, fun.
1: I have a million questions for you. We'll have
2: to do another episode <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to um, come on anytime and have both of you on my show. Mm-hmm so That'd fun. be fun.
1: You know, we love to talk. So we'll be there.
2: Yeah, um, you have barely gotten to talk at all.
1: <laughs> oh boy. Well, that's just, anyway, I wonder how can you share with our listeners? How can mamas from our sisterhood who are walking this journey, this decision point of, of believing that one and done is, is part of their story? How can they connect with you?
2: Well, I'm most active on Instagram. So at only you podcast is where you can find me um I try to respond to every message but it's getting a little out of control so you know (laughs) give me two to three business weeks or something (laughs) um so definitely find me there we also have a a discussion discussion page that I like to put up there so if I post something and people want to talk about it you can go there but you can find us also on our website onlyupodcast.com there's links there to where you can listen to us like apple podcast or spotify there's also a patreon so if you join our patreon at the five dollar level or above you're actually invited to join us on a monthly mental health happy hour so cool. we and we have a group chat that's been really fun <laughs> we all get together and we kind of talk about like what's been going on lately um sometimes it's like a very cathartic meaningful joyous conversation and other times we literally just talk about like <laughs> what's up like what you've been mm-hmm. doing uh, somebody's doing like remodeling their house or whatever like it's a varied subjects but that's where you can find me I'm also on Facebook at only you a one and done podcast and yeah I would say I'm on Instagram every single day so if you want to somehow connect with me go there
0: I love that we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes to mama so that you can get direct access to (laughs) Jess and only you (laughs) Believe me, you'll find me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Jess, uh, thank you again for being so vulnerable. And ultimately, thank you for the work that you do and the community that you are creating for families who choose to only have one, whether that was a choice or a decision made for them. You are really, truly creating a safe space for community. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. It's an honor to share the internet space with you.
2: (laughs) So right back at you.
0: Thank you. And to the mamas listening who are on this family building journey and who are daily faced with the question or the thought of what does growing your family look like? We hope that this episode affirms that mama, you know, what's best for your family. And it's only you who can make that decision. And you will make the right decision. And so no matter where you find yourself, no matter the pressures you may feel, we hope that you offer yourself that moment to really sit and ask yourself, what do you want your family to look like? What does it look like in that five-year picture that Jess illustrated? And we hope that um, you offer your heart that space and that time to do that. So know that mama, no matter how your family grows or if your family grows, you are loved just as you are and your kid ultimately knows your love. So we love having you guys here on the podcast. Thank you as always for being a part of the sisterhood and we will catch you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member
1: of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the Sisterhood.